So hey, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Acts chapter 9, and I apologize, but not really. Um, we are going to move really fast this morning, so hopefully you are awake and alert and ready to go. You ready to go? I'm excited about this morning, not only because just what we're celebrating and what God's done in Danny and Lauren's life and our church, but because the passage we're going to be in, we're, we're in Resurgence, which is our journey through Acts that's going to take us through this next year. And so we've been plugging along, and I decided not to let John Looney preach this morning because he might desecrate another L.A. team, and I'm not going to allow that to happen. So we're running out of teams for him to go after. So anyway, but, uh, but this morning we're going to talk about, we're going to, we're going to look at verses 1 through 31 of Acts chapter 9. And this is probably one of the most pivotal passages in all of the book of Acts. It's, this, it's the story of what in this passage is referred to as Saul, but we later know him as Paul. It's his conversion. It's his transformation. And in, in this passage, everything changes for him and everything changes for the church. Because what happens in this chapter sets the groundwork for somebody who ends up writing the majority of the New Testament, planting the majority of the churches in the New Testament, doing the most amazing things that God through a guy who was going the opposite direction. And what, what, what you and I want, what us want to capture in this right now is that this book that we have, these the 66 books inspired over 1,500 years by God through human hands, have one main theme, and that is God reconciling everything back to him through Jesus. That is the theme that runs throughout. But you know what the outcome of that theme is? You know what the outcome of reconciliation is? It's transformation. It's change. God is about change. Here's the beauty of the way God works. God loves you enough to accept you exactly as you are, but he loves you enough not to let you stay that way. That's the beauty of God's love. God loved Saul and or Paul enough to get a hold of him and change the course of his life, which changes the course of history. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump here, and I'm, as I said, we're going to move pretty quick. And I want to start, but we're going to kind of make our way through this passage, taking a few verses at a time. But starting in, in verses 1 through 3, there's, there's three things I want to highlight. There's a process of transformation that happens happened to Paul. It happens for us as well. And I want you to see there's three key elements that you and I cannot experience change, fundamental change in our lives, apart from three, these three ingredients that Paul experienced and that God, God calls for us to experience. The first one is this, is that the process of transformation comes through interruption. So look at verses 1 through 3. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, which was any Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. We'll stop right there. So get the picture here. Saul is doing what? He's murdering Christians. In fact, he was the one that was standing next, watching Stephen be stoned by the religious leaders. He was holding their coats and their, their, their outer garments, as he, and he's applauding the death of someone who's a follower of Jesus. So this is his focus in life. And suddenly, when he's going to do that further, this light appears and gets his attention and interrupts the journey that he was on to where he was going to go. And although you and I may don't ha we don't have this kind of experience where a light shines into our eyes or comes into the, from the sky and gets our attention, all of us have interruptions in our life that God plans intentionally. All of us. The question is, do we respond to the interruptions? See, we think interruptions are irritations. They're inconveniences. But you know what they come in the form of? Crisis, tragedy. But you know what they are? They're opportunities. 
There's these little moments of awakening that God brings to our life through circumstances that we, we want to get through because we don't like them, because interruption is uncomfortable, because we don't like anything outside of our plan. But when God brings them to our life, do we listen to what God's saying? Here's a perfect example. It's the 9-11 effect. Do you remember where you were on 9-11? Almost everybody in this room could give a story of where you were when you found out it through the radio or through social media or through television. Something was going on in the world and it was shaking everything to its core. You know, it was interesting. We were up in, out in Ventura when, we, when this happened and, and every church across the country experienced the same phenomena for the next three or four weeks. The attendance went through the roof. Because we didn't know what to do. We were in crisis. This interruption interrupts our daily lives and it puts us, turns us upside down. And so suddenly we flock to church. Why? Because we don't have answers. You know what? This happened in November too. The borderline shooting. Our attendance normally is pretty flat in November. And then it kind of goes flat in December and then it goes down as everybody goes on their Christmas kind of thing. Our attendance in November, the two Sundays after the borderline shooting, went through the roof. What is that? It's an interruption in our lives because something that is out of the ordinary has happened, and it isn't that God caused 9-11 or God caused borderline, but God uses those moments of awakening to say, hey, there's something I want to say to you. I want your attention. Here's the question. You know what's funny? It's three weeks after the borderline shooting, and I think this is true for all the churches in our county, attendance went right back to where it was. In fact, it even dipped a little lower than normal because we somehow avoided the pain of the crisis or it subsided and kind of went away, except for obviously those families directly related. And we just went back to what? Normal. God uses interruptions. God's interrupting Paul and what he's about to do. God interrupts us. And that's one of the first keys of this process of transformation. Second one is this thing called revelation. So let me read this is a pretty lengthy section here, but let me read verse four to verse 16. So once we get past this, light shines up, shines, shows up, and it says, and falling to the ground, this is a Saul, he says, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Don't you just wish it would work that way with you? Like, okay, what's this interruption? And then Jesus says, oh, it's me. Oh, okay, now I get it, right? No, but look, look, going on, it says in verse 7, Then men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But here this is key. Remember, this is God asking Ananias to go to someone who's an enemy. He says, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he will suffer, must suffer for the sake of my name. We'll stop there. What's going on here? So the light comes and interrupts Paul, and then suddenly what happens is that Jesus speaks to him. Jesus reveals something to him. Jesus opens his 
spiritual eyes to see what he has been absolutely blind to. And if you realize, if you read before this point, you read through what, Paul, what Saul's experience is. He was passionate. He was convinced he was doing the very thing that, that God had called him to do, which was to persecute the church. He thought he was serving God. He was convinced of that. And he did everything in his power to try to achieve those goals, only to find out that what he thought was true was absolutely a lie. But then the light comes on for him. This revelation of who Jesus is brings clarity to him to see something that he had never seen before. And here's the tragedy of spiritual blindness. When you're blind, you usually don't know you're blind because you can't see. And God comes along and he begins to open your eyes and open your mind to something that maybe was confusing before in your life. This is the process of transformation. Some will call it illumination. God will do something in you to bring to the forefront something that he wants to bring clarity to you about your life. And sometimes do we just let those moments go by? I think I've shared this before, but at 16 years old, really trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus in my life. And so I was at, a, at a, an evening service at Angelus Temple, a 16-year-old, and my brother-in-law, Larry Powers, who many of you know, who comes and speaks every year, he was speaking. I can't even tell you what he was preaching on, something about God's purpose for your life. I don't even remember the details of it. All I know is for 35 minutes, I was squirming in my seat. Because I knew that although I'd become a follower of Jesus, there was something more that God was calling me to that I didn't know what it was. And so I, I was squirming for all this time. And it's like, and then, then they came to the end. And this is what I was thinking. Please don't ask people to come forward. Please don't do that. Because I knew that I would have to go because God was saying there's more to your life. There's something more that I'm calling you to than just being a follower of me. And so I struggled. And I remember when my brother-in-law, he gives this invitation. And if you've ever been to Angel's Temple, it's a huge venue. Lots of room up front. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, and I just start sobbing. I'm 16 years old, and I look at my sister, who's closest in age to me. She's 18. And I looked at her, and I said, let's go. And she goes, let's go where? I said, let's go down front. She goes, I'm not going down front. I'm like, well, come with me. She's like, I don't feel anything. I'm like, oh, shoot, I want at least somebody to come with me. And so I just finally, I'm like, okay. So I got up, and I walked down, and just in tears, and I got down on my knees on the steps at Angel's Temple. And as I'm sobbing, not only did my brother-in-law come over to me, but my youth pastor from when I was in middle school, who's Ralph Torres, is standing there. And as I look up at him and these two guys who've been, been powerful mentors in my life, Ralph looks at me and he says, you know what? So what? He goes, I've been waiting for this moment for years. I'm like, you have? He goes, yeah. He goes, from the moment you came into the youth group when you were in seventh grade, I knew that God was calling you to serve him with your life. I knew that God was calling you to, to lay down your life to do whatever he called you to do, but you just kept fighting it. And finally, finally, and then I really started crying. That was the moment for me I started to realize that my life was not about myself. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about my agenda. It wasn't about my comfort. That was the mo I didn't know exactly all that was going to unfold in the future, but it was that moment that I felt like Paul had when Jesus reveals himself and says, listen, your life is not your own anymore. You don't get to call the shots anymore. You don't get to do what you think is good. You've got to listen to what I'm saying to you. Have you had one of those moments where God just makes something that you're not quite sure is going on clear to you and he reveals himself to you? See, there are those moments, but you and I will just say, ah, oh, that was just emotion, because you know what happened the next moment? The enemy comes along and says, ah, no, nah, that wasn't real. That was just the moment. You were just feeling emotional, and God was using your emotions in the moment to get past your intellect and your, your pushback to say, listen, your life's about something different. 
So God creates an interruption in your life, and then he brings this ama amazing revelation. Then he leads to this third thing, and this is the one that I think is the biggest struggle for all of us, but it's the one that is most important, I think, in the process. Verses 17 through 19 is that the process of transformation comes through people. So what happens? So look at verse 17 through 19. So Ananias departed. He entered the house, and laying his hands on him, or he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized, taking food, and he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. I want you just to not push past what just happened. Ananias knows who Saul is. In fact, he had the conversation with God and said, uh, yeah, you know who this guy is? He's been killing Christians. He's been persecuting the church. And now you want me to go put myself in the same room with him? He's going to arrest me. He's going to probably take my life. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. He, he's been called to something greater. So it goes from, you read just a few verses earlier, this is an enemy of the church. And what, what is Ananias, how does he address Saul? Brother Saul. God had transformed Ananias in a short amount of time to look at what used to be an enemy as a friend. Because now Ananias was going to be an ally for Saul, which if you will read further, another one is, his name's Barnabas. Saul isn't, Paul, or really, Saul doesn't become who he really is in the church unless Barnabas shows up. So what's the key ingredient here? See, apart from really Ananias and then even Barnabas later, you and I would never even know the name Saul or Paul. We wouldn't. Because these two were the ones that endorsed and helped him step into who he was supposed to be which makes a powerful statement. If God wants to bring transformation in our life, he doesn't ever, ever do it in isolation. You can't go up to a mountain by yourself and suddenly be transformed and changed for the rest of your life. You can't do that. That's why we have the church. Christianity is a team sport. But we like solo, we like solo sports. We want to go out and run a race by ourselves. You can't do it. God gives us people. That's why it's so important for us to understand. That's why you hear, and I know ad nauseum, you're tired of hearing about community groups. I get it. I know. But if you're not in deep and profound relationship with people, you will not change. You won't. So I encourage you, if you're not in a community group, get in a community group. If you're in a community group, by the way, stay committed to your community group. Because the cycle runs throughout the calendar where, hey, everybody pushes in. And then before you know it, oh, man, I got this coming up. And sorry, I can't make it this week. And so-and-so sick. And I got to be out of town. And before you know it, you've lost connection. And then crisis hits. And you feel so ashamed that you haven't been in a community group. You don't reach out. Not that I'm talking about anybody in the room, okay? But it happens over and over and over again. What is that? That is the enemy separating you from the lifeline that Jesus has given you in the people around you. You and I have to fight for community because everything fights against it. God uses people. So those are the key ingredients. But from there, what does the evidence of transformation look like? What is it? How do we see this in our life? Look at verse 20. Four things. Again, I know I'm moving fast. The first thing is there's a change in our understanding. How do you know you're being changed by God? There's something that changes in the way you understand him. It says in verse 20, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Just pause for a moment. Who's saying that? Saul. This is a guy who just earlier was saying Jesus is a blasphemer. Jesus is from the devil. And now what is he saying? Jesus is the Son of God. Is that, like, crazy? You, the answer is yes, by the way, if you weren't quite sure. That's absolutely insane. 
Paul has this understanding of who Jesus is that he's never had before. There's something new that he understands and, and completely contrary to what he thought was true. And that's why later when Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 of that book, he says this. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul's praying for the readers the same thing he experienced, that he had more wisdom and revelation of who Jesus is. And that means your transformation, a sign that you're being transformed, is when you understand more about who Jesus is. Not just reading the Bible and getting some information that you can jot down, but something so profound, it changes the way you understand who Jesus is. There has to be that. And I've talked about this. Your journey in Jesus, your transformation is an evolutionary process that constantly develops and grows. Not in, forgive me for using the term, no, you say, oh, evolution, no. But it evolves. You can't be the same today as you were 10 years ago if you came to know Jesus 10 years ago because you should have a deeper understanding of who he is. That's part of the journey. And there's those markers that you hit where God just opens your mind again and you get a new understanding. Like for me, a couple weeks ago, I was just reflecting on some different passages and I was thinking about uh, Colossians chapter one, which is this incredible passage which talks about who Jesus is. And it says a couple key things about Jesus. That Jesus was the creator of all things, but he was before all things which means before creation ever started, Jesus existed. Jesus was there. And as I just stopped, stopped and just prayed about that and thought about it, this, this moment was like one of those moments like, poof, just blew your mind kind of moments. Now I know all of you already get this because you're way ahead of it than me, but this is what hit me. Jesus created the world knowing, not, not just having an idea, but knowing and intending that creation would cost him his life. Jesus showing up in the middle of human history and dying on the cross wasn't God's plan B. It wasn't like, ah, oh, okay, humanity's so bad, I guess I'm just going to have to go down and help them. That wasn't what it was. Before you and I were ever created, before this whole thing called creation ever started, Jesus existed and made a decision to create something that would lead to his death. We would never do that. But it just hit me, I thought, Jesus, you knew before. You knew before Adam and Eve. You knew before the, the planets existed. You knew before everything that the moment you started the creation process, the time was ticking for the day that you would die. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I'd do it. I'd look at the Father and Holy Spirit and say, we're good. I don't need this. But God desires relationship. So Jesus began creation knowing that in the midst of creation, he would have to become a part of his creation. And in that moment, I just sat there and I was overwhelmed and I, I jotted that down and I put it on my reminders and just like constantly remember, Jesus chose creation knowing he was choosing death. Jesus brought me into the world knowing that he would die for me. This wasn't God's plan B. This was God's intention before time began. Do you have those moments of understanding? Hopefully you do. Hopefully there's those moments where you have a deeper understanding of Jesus. Second thing, Evidence of transformation is seen in a change in reputation. Look at verse 21. It says, All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And he has not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests. Is this not the man that we knew that was like against us and now he's acting like he's for us? And that's why a lot of people at first are like, Ah, I'm going to push back on this guy. I don't, I don't trust him. 
That's why he needed Barnabas to come alongside and say, no, God has done something significant in his life. There, there has to be this sense of when we're following Jesus, there is a long list of things that we used to do that we don't do anymore. And then there's even more important list of things that we do now that we never did before. Why? Because we've changed. And that should be evidenced by the outside of people looking at us and the way that we live our lives. There are just rhythms of life that we now experience that we never did before. Why? Because we didn't really understand because we weren't really following Jesus. A change in reputation. Have you, has your lifestyle ever confused anybody? Has any, anyone ever looked at you puzzled? Especially somebody who's known you for a long time. And they look at you and think, who are you? In a good way. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know, you, you don't talk the same, you don't act the same, you don't do the same things. What in the world happened to you? Hopefully one or two people in your lifetime has said that to you if you're a follower of Jesus. Why? Because that's a sign of transformation. There's some change happening. And maybe you don't see change, but other people have a perspective that can. It's like when, when, when Zacchaeus encounters Jesus. This is what's crazy. Zacchaeus is the most greedy man in his town. Nobody likes him because he's a traitor to his own people. And then when he encounters Jesus, what does he do? His biggest issue was money. That was his biggest issue. He was greedy. And he makes this declaration to Jesus. He says, whoever I ripped off, I'm going to pay back four times what I own them, which the law only required two times. So he doubles it. And then he says this. He's like, I'm going to sell all my possessions. I'm going to give half of the money to the poor. What in the world happened to Zacchaeus? He encountered Jesus. You guys are really subdued. Maybe you're just thinking deeply or what. I mean, just, that's what, that's what we're supposed to, now, some of you are thinking, man, I got to work really hard on this transformation thing. No, you have to surrender more in this transformation thing because you can't do this. No human being could do to Zacchaeus what Jesus did. Nobody could have argued with him long enough to get him to pay back four times what he owed and sell his possessions and give it to the poor. Nobody except what? The God of the universe in, in human flesh and Jesus transformed the man. That's what happens. When we encounter Jesus, there should be this change in transformation, which leads to the third thing. And that is a change in lifestyle that we actually live differently. Verse 22 says, but, Paul, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So now his lifestyle, remember his, his whole point of life, his rhythm of life was what? Find the Christians, throw them in jail, or, or, or murder them. That was his whole thing. And now the very person that they serve, now he's now confounding the Jews, which used to be his team. He's on the other team now, and now he's confounding them that Jesus actually is the Christ. It's a whole new reality for Saul. It's a whole new way of life. It's a whole new lifestyle that he's now embracing that is completely different. Is that true of you? Is there a new, does your life have a different cadence and a different rhythm than it used to? That's a sign of transformation. Maybe there's areas of your life that you've, they've been off limits to God, but maybe you know that God's been pushing in. Why? Because he wants to transform you. It isn't just this guilt and shame that you feel that makes you feel bad because things aren't changing your life. God is pushing in on that because he's saying, listen, you need to surrender that over to me because that's going to destroy your life. I have so many of those markers in my life where, where there's certain things that I used to live, a certain rhythm of life, and now God has, has, and it has been painful, but it's been a great process where now I live differently. One of those things I just mentioned earlier, is living in relational health. That is one of the most important things that the body of Christ can do because it is the one thing that we should get more than the world gets. 
Why? Because I'm a sinner just like anybody else. So who am I to judge anybody else? I have to find a way. If God has reconciled me back to him through Jesus, then I have to find a way to reconcile with broken relationships. And let me tell you, I've had a ton of them in my life. In fact, it used to be a way of life for me. I used to have so many burned bridges and so many broken relationships, and I used to talk bad about so many different people and leaders that, that I would find myself in circles where I'd walk into rooms, and there's at least five people that I could point at that I was unreconciled with. And I just found a way to navigate life until God, a number of years ago, used, an ex- used one of those broken relationships to be the key to the future of what he wanted to do in my life and in Kim's life. And so now, I, now, this is the thing. I used to like, ah, I, I don't want to know if I violated anybody or if I've done anything wrong. I just, I just want to move on. Now, I want to know if there's something wrong in my life. So a couple weeks ago, I was at a meeting with a bunch of leaders from our denomination. We're in the process of selecting a new president for, for our movement. And this, this meeting was about 130 leaders in we room, and we had an extended time of prayer and worship, just seeking the Lord and asking God to, to give us his wisdom. And so we were all on our knees, and so as we're on our knees, I, I, this question, and I know it was prompted by the Holy Spirit, this pr- question popped into my mind. Are you good with everyone in this room? Now I'm like, we're thinking about the presidential process here. I don't know if I'm good with everybody in this room. And so I'm like, okay, I'll ask the question. So I'm like, Lord, am I good with everybody in this room? So I just started going through the room of the people that I knew, and you know, I'm going to all the people that I you know, get along with and everything. I'm like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then boom, mentally there's this guy over here and I'm not good with him. Like, oh man. So God says, well, you're going to be good with him by the end of the day, aren't you? I said, yeah, you bet I am. So the next break that came, I went and I tracked him down. And what had happened years and years and years ago is that there was a misunderstanding when we were in the process of both two churches were coming together in a church plant process. And there's some, some things that there were some rubs between the two parent churches, which was the church I was pastoring, the church he was pastoring. And he was completely unaware, but I took an offense at him. And I carried that for like 12 years. I didn't even know it was still there. And God said, yeah, that's still unresolved. <laughs> and so I told him, I said, listen, I have to ask for your forgiveness. I said, I've been holding bitterness towards you, and that's not right for you, and it's not right for me, and it's not right before the Lord. I said, would you forgive me? And explain, he, he would not, his response, he goes, he goes, this is huge. I'm like, ooh, well, good. I was hoping he was going to say, like, get out of my face, right? <laughs> he said, you don't know how much that means to me personally. He said, but you know what? We're, we're in the process of planting another church with another church. Two churches come together to plant a church. And he goes, I was completely unaware that this happened. Because, but now that you shared this with me, he goes, now this is on my radar to avoid this in the future, to make sure there's no misunderstanding. And we hugged each other, and I walked to him and think, Thank you, Jesus. Don't tell me if there's anybody else in this room that I'm not good with. I did my thing. But it's a different way of life because then, then in that meeting, I could walk throughout that meeting and walk into that room and not feel any, any little wince of like, oh, I don't want to be around that person. Why? Because there's a different way of li- living that. I'm, I'm letting Jesus every day try to transform those broken areas of my life. And that's why if you've been here for a little while and if you're going to line, you'll hear about it. That's why I have a zero tolerance for gossip because I have to hold myself to that too because it brings health, relational health in our church. And then there's one last thing. In fact, as I go into this, I pray and then the worship team is gonna join us for our last song. And that is this, that the evidence of transformation is seen in a change in purpose. So let me read the last portion of this passage, verse 23 down to verse 31. So going on, he says this. 
It says, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So now, now Saul is an enemy of the Jews. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were wa watching the gates and at night ordered to kill him. But the disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And when they, they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. And then here's Barnabas, verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out uh, among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and he uh, disputed against the Hellenists, but they were all seeking to kill him. And when brothers learned of this, they brought him down to uh, Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee uh, and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Okay, I want you to catch that. Paul's purpose is different in life now. So what is he doing now? He's going from place to place, not arresting Christians, but he's actually promoting who Jesus is. That's the purpose of his life now. In fact, this purpose that God gives him is the very purpose that will actually take his life in the future. Listen to what he says of himself in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's it. That's the sole purpose of Paul's life. And he gets that to the point of being willing to give his life. There is a purpose that God has for you that comes through the process of transformation. What is that purpose that God has given to you? I'll tell you this. There's a similar purpose for all of us. We're all supposed to be doing similar to what Paul was. We don't necessarily travel around, but the testimony of our life is supposed to be the demonstration of the gospel to our world, to our friends, to our neighbors, to everybody. That's what it's supposed to be. But what is the purpose that God has given to you that maybe you haven't realized yet because you haven't surrendered to his transformation in your life? And he wants your attention. He wants you to understand there's something more to your life that he wants to do. And it comes through, he's not just using you, he's changing you. You are the story that God is using to unfold his purpose in your life. So I'm gonna share this one, one last story. So at the, the meeting that I was at with, with our, our leadership for our, our denomination, uh, Matthew Barnett, who is the pastor of the Dream Center Angeles Temple, which obviously we send a team down a couple times a month to partner with them on Skid Row. But he, had, he was sharing some, some stories about what's happening at the Dream Center, and he had two individuals share their testimony. And one of them in particular really, really caught my attention. It's a man who's 31 years old. He said he had been in and out of jail since he was 14 number of different charges and all kinds of stuff. And so finally, after serving his last kind of stint, which by the way, the Dream Center has so gained a positive reputation in the court system that judges are currently sentencing prisoners not to jail time, but to the discipleship program at the Dream Center. Isn't that crazy? So this guy gets released and part of his agreement to be released is he's gotta go into the program at the Dream Center. That's part of his parole. So he goes and he's, he's living there and he, he comes to know Jesus. He's six months in now. He's doing amazing. He's learning what it is to follow Jesus. And here's the coolest thing. This is what he shared. If many of you don't know where the Dream Center is located, it's off the 101 freeway near Alvarado in LA. It's what used to be the Queen of Angels Hospital. 
They bought that, and now that is a place where ministry flows to the city of L.A. It's incredible. But that's also where their discipleship people in the program, they live on site. So this guy was sharing this amazing thing. He said, most of you don't know this, he said, but I was born in a Queen Angels hospital. He said, now I'm being reborn at the Queen of Angels hospital. It's called the Dream Center. Man, the room just erupted. I mean, it was incredible. But what he said was so important. I was born in this hospital, but now I'm being reborn. That's exactly what Paul experienced. He was born into this world as a human being, just like us. But in that moment, on that road to Damascus, he was reborn and everything changed for him. And so God calls us to experience what it is to be reborn in him. For some of us, it may be salvation, where we are rebirthed. That's what the Bible refers to. But there may be other subsequent moments where we need to rebirth. We need to be infused with the power of the Holy Spirit again. We need to be we captured again by what God has called us to in our lives. But that means you can't ignore the interruptions. You've got to lean into the moments of revelation. You've got to lock arms with the people around you so that you can experience transformation. So I don't know what that looks like in your life, but I know there's a lot of points of application that you've got to choose to, to live out. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing one last song. But it is your homework to go and say, okay, Jesus, it's this, or it's this, or it's this. And I know because I want to take one step forward into being more changed and transformed in who you want me to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. I know that by the power of your spirit, you're already at work in all of our lives. And Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know you and is, is in that process of, of being rebirthed for the first time, Lord, would you draw them right now to your salvation, to your forgiveness, as they confess their sin and hand their lives over to you, that they would be reborn much like Saul experienced. But Lord, for the rest of us, would you give us the courage to be willing to surrender to you in such a way that everything that we think our lives are supposed to be about, we would lay before you. And then, Lord, we would say whatever you want to do, whatever purpose you want us to fulfill, whatever the future looks like, Lord, that we would surrender that to you. And then the result would be, Lord, you would change us from the inside out. The past would stay in the past. The new would become what you want it to be. It would become the present reality of our lives. We would have different reputations and new lifestyles, and we would experience everything that you have for us. Lord Jesus, would you give us a similar testimony to that of Saul? transform our lives for your purpose. In your name, Lord Jesus.